Hey guys, welcome back to the Max Spence Business Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, but before I jump into this podcast, if you guys like the content I'm putting out, uh, you know, please like, subscribe, leave a review. If you can go over to Apple Podcast, uh, you know, like and leave a review. It helps out a lot with the podcast uh, and also the people that are coming on the show. So without further ado, uh, today's guest is Colleen Campbell. So she's a wealth management advisor and also a podcast host of I'm a Millionaire, So Now What? It's great having you on the show, Colleen. It is awesome to be here, Max. Thanks for your patience with the kind of rescheduling, <laughs> but we're here today and that's all that matters. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so maybe for, uh, people that, you know, don't listen to your podcast or you don't ha have not heard of you before, uh, what's sort of like your backstory, where, where did you grow up and sort of how did you get into the banking industry? Well, um, I'm born and bred Ottawa, Ottawa Valley, really. I like to, when people ask me when I was younger where I lived, I said in the middle of nowhere. Um, but really, I grew up on Dwyer Hill Road, which is west of the city. Um, growing up, it was West Carlton Township, an Elmont phone number, an Ashton address. So that's why I said I grew up in the middle of nowhere. It's now part of the city of Ottawa, and I'm, I'm still in the city of Ottawa. I didn't leave attended high school, attended Carleton University, and, you know, got my first real career job in a bank, <laughs> which was all about someone I knew. That's, you know, th that's, okay. the, that's the uh, starting point. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, with that, w when you went into uh, university, uh, what, uh, what course did you take? Ah, that's a good one. So in high school, I studied mostly the maths and sciences, and that was great. Um, I, I, I was focused on going to university. I was convinced that I needed to go to university, but I also, for some reason, this was back, you know, I went to university in the early 90s. So I always had in the back of my mind that whatever I do, there needs to be some kind of practical element to it. Well, in my grade, and I was in high school when we still had the OACs or the Ontario Academic Credits or grade 13. So it was in my physics class, my grade 13 physics class, and I was really, I got really turned off of science because of a particular science teacher who was very um, uh, macho chauvinist. Um, I was like, I'm, I'm not interested in going into science. So that I was, you know, applying to schools and I thought, what am I going to do? Well, I have maths and sciences. Well, I guess the next best thing is business. And hey, that actually makes a lot of sense because business is probably more practical. So I applied to business school at Ottawa U in Carleton and uh, opted to go to attend school at Carleton. And I had never taken a business course before. I really, you know, business was interesting, but I, it wasn't really focused. It was really simply because I thought it would be practical. And that was, uh, that was how I, how I landed in the business program. So I found, I found um, accounting 100 actually quite challenging because they skipped over all of the basics and right into the, in the deep theory. So I took accounting for two years and then dropped it. My focus in business school was more on the, um, I took some entrepreneurial classes and finance and marketing and at that time you didn't have to specifically major in an area so I came out with a pretty general business degree from Carleton Bachelor of Commerce. 
Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That, that, that is pretty interesting. So, uh, so you got turned off by science in high school and then you sort of went down the, the business route. Uh, yeah, the, the, that's very interesting. So, uh, out of that, what, what like now reflecting back on it, what, what was one of the courses that, uh, had the most impact for you? Was it like the accounting? Was it marketing? Was it, uh, the entrepreneurial courses? Uh, what was something that you're like, you know, I, I wish I would have spent more time maybe networking with, uh, other, you know, kids in that class or maybe with the profs or, or, you know, maybe if they had a speaker come in or something like that. Yeah, I can't, I can't say that, that there's anything that I can think of that I, looking back, I would do differently per se, um, because it was, it was really part of the process and the journey. I think if there was anything that I was going to do differently, uh, I would have, I was involved in a couple of student organizations as well at the same time, the, the School of Business, the Commerce Society, and another student organization called ISEC, uh, which is an acronym. I don't know if you've ever heard of them before, ISEC. Um, it's a French acronym that loosely translated is the Association of Students Interested in Economics and Commerce. And it was a student organization that started after the Second World War in Europe when they were trying to mend fences after the war. And university students decided to have some exchanges and to try to place university students in different businesses in different countries. So I was part of that organization in Ottawa. If there was anything that I might regret is that even though I was heavily involved in ISEC at the local level, and I was part of the process of bringing over what we called trainees to work in Ottawa in some businesses, I didn't opt to apply to take on a traineeship myself and go, um, go overseas or what have you. Um, I think that would be the only thing that I'm, that I might regret. Um, but what, what, what sense is there in having regrets really? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but otherwise, you know, yeah. Otherwise uh, I don't, I can't think of anything that I would necessarily do differently because I didn't have a specific focus or end in mind as to what I was going to do after school. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and, and there's no, like, uh, I, I, I sort of look at like, there's no really regrets. Cause it's like, you're, you're, always, you're in your process, right. And you're always in your process of where you're sort of trying to figure it out and where you want to go. Right. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that actually taking that trip could have actually been a lot worse because you could have maybe missed out on an opportunity, but from staying in Ottawa and meeting some people in other businesses and, and stuff. But yeah, that, that is pretty interesting. Cause, uh, um, my, my friend who's at, actually at Carleton right now uh, in the architecture program uh, was he, he, he's looking at trying to go to like maybe uh, London or uh, some of the um, like Sweden or Norway or something to take an architecture pro uh, an architecture program there, uh, which, which is pretty cool and interesting. Um, but yeah, so what leading now to going into the banking uh, industry, um, how did that sort of start and how did that sort of come about? Uh, that was a bit of an accident, really. I, you know, being a university student in a, a business program, um, my mother-in-law now, she was my boyfriend's mother <laughs> at the time, worked for one of our, one of the major banks. And she, she approached me when I was in my third year in university and said, look at our branch is looking for weekend um, support in as a teller we don't have tellers anymore really but as a teller and you're in business and by the way 
we have the, there's this thing called the Canadian um, Banking Association, and there's uh, certain courses that the bank will pay for, and they you know there's an opportunity maybe to have a couple of your university courses paid for, or not the whole tuition, but just a particular course. So I said, well, it, it's a no-brainer to apply. The the hours of operation would be Thursday nights, Friday nights, and Saturday mornings. Great opportunity with a university schedule. So I applied with no intentions that it would be a long-term career. It was just a fill-the-gap, great part-time job that fit in well. And at the end of uh, two years, when I, when I graduated, I was pounding the pavement. It was mid-90s. I was looking for looking for work, didn't know exactly still yet what I wanted to do, but I knew I, I really did want to stay in Ottawa. Uh, at the time, my, my thought was there were more opportunities if I moved to a bigger city like Toronto or something like that, but I really wanted to stay in Ottawa. My, my boyfriend was here, my family was here, and um, I was interviewing for a few different roles, including one with Great West Life that involved being um, essentially a roaming salesperson. They called it, a, uh, what did they call it again? A specialist in group disability. So, so you'd be going around and supporting sales in businesses that were looking at adding group benefits, right? And at the same time, then, the major bank that I had been working for part-time said, hey, we're hiring into our uh, retail bank uh, lending positions, our personal banking, and you've already worked with us for two years. You have a degree in business. Um, you're already essentially permanent part-time. What if, sign here, become part-time, you know, increase your savings into the ESOP, get involved in the pension, and it was a no-brainer. My husband-to-be, at that, at that point in time, he'd become my fiance, was working in the trades. He was a plumber by trade. And I know right now it seems like trade's really great. Nobody's out of work. But in the mid-90s, the economy wasn't quite the same. And he was actually laid off more than he was working. And here we were looking to get married. Um, so here was some stability for our household. So I signed on the dotted line. And and I joined full-time as a full-time banker <laughs> at, that, at that stage. Still didn't really think it was going to be um, a place where I would stay long-term. And I, and I didn't stay long-term in the retail banking world. I stayed there for uh, a total between my part-time teller years and my full-time about six years. The majority of my career was after the transition more to the wealth, uh, wealth end of things, which does operate differently. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 For, for sure. And, and that's, uh, so speaking on that more, cause like the, the retail, uh, teller side is like, you'd be like, let's say a teller, then you go up to like, maybe, uh, you know, like senior teller and then branch branch manager. Is there any way like it is like sort of like the career path? Is it sort of like you move over into wealth management or like once you become like, let's say the branch manager of that branch is, is there anything you can do to sort of get, uh, you know, maybe go into some somewhere else or somewhere else in, inside the company? Uh, or is it you're sort of like stuck in that area? Well, I think you're only stuck if you think you're stuck at anywhere, at anything that you might be doing, wherever it is. You know, that's a, that, I think that's a mindset. You know, if you choose to believe you're stuck, you're stuck. Um, and certainly the retail bank has changed a lot 
um, whatever institution it is, has changed a lot since I spent my time there in the you know mid uh, mid to late nineties. Um, but I would say that there is there there is a bit of a um, a route you know to get you get in in a position you get to know it well and then I would say get to know who are the other key people. So it's all, I think it's always about who you know as much as what you know. Um, because if you have the propensity to learn, you can probably learn whatever job or skill you need in the next level, but it's to find the right people to, um, um, you know, to bring you forward as a potential candidate. And most of the, most of the major banks have job platforms now where every position is posted. So as long as you fulfill the basic term of whatever position you're in, you, you can just start applying, um, apply for whatever it is that you, you want to do. Um, for me, I went from the teller customer service into the personal banking. And I, w I worked with clients on both um, sort of basic investing as well as mortgages and student loans and credit cards. And then eventually, I moved into a slightly more senior role managing um, a couple of people who were, it's, it's again different now, but they were managing sort of the paperwork side of things while I was in the sales side, complementing another support um, manager who was sort of managing the sales. And then there was another manager who managed all, all of us, right? But it was that um, higher manager that recognized that there was some, I had some potential and approached me about applying for a position that was becoming open. So I, I, I applied for it. And I think one of the themes in my life has just been when there's a knock on the door to answer it, don't hide in the corner, answer it and, and find out what that opportunity is and respond to it because you don't know if you don't answer the door. Um, what you might be missing. So I just kept answering the door. So that happened and I took on that role for a little while. And then I, then I started, um, well, a family can be two people, but we, we grew our family. I had my first child, it was 2000. And at that point I was kind of getting a little bit itchy to do something else. And that's when I started to look a little bit more. And be, again, because of people I knew, I learned about a position that became available on the wealth management side of things. And to me, that was a more, more realistic route for me based on my journey. I liked working with the clients more so than I enjoyed managing the people. And what I saw as the trajectory in the banking for the potential then was more about the managing people than it was about an advancement of being able to work with clients. Um, so that's when I um, took the opportunity to to make a leap, and I was I was hired on in in a role that was called financial planning, and it wasn't a sales role; it was more of a supporting role for advisors who called themselves brokers at the time, because it was still 2000, and the world had not quite evolved to where it is today in the wealth management realm. And um, I did that for a while, and again, it was somebody who recognized. Um, I guess, potential in me and said, hey, why don't you think about actually becoming an advisor and going down this track here, which would, would have been, um, that was a big leap. That's basically going from a salaried position into 100%, you know, growing and running a, a business within a business. And uh, 
as a young, still fairly young, under 30, with um, not quite, how old would my son have been? He would have been um, not quite 18 months old, somewhere close to 18 months old. So that was a big, that was the big, that was the big leap from there. That, so I would say anyone who's looking, it's, it's about having conversations with the people around you and answering opportunities and not being afraid. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, and that's what I hear a lot is, uh, like, uh, you, you just need to ask, like, you just need to ask, you just need to start those conversations and those conversations can lead to a lot of like potential business, uh, and anything you sort of do, let's say you're running your own business or you're already in a company and you're looking to sort of expand inside, like, you know, maybe go up through the levels or, uh, maybe for like banking where, where you actually start. So that, 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 uh, that's actually really interesting. So, uh, with, with what you're doing uh, today and sort of like how uh, wealth management sort of evolves, uh, has evolved, uh, what do you, so what do you mean by you're pretty much your own business inside the, inside the, the banking mm. uh, industry? So you're, the, you're, you're in one of the yeah. like top uh, five big banks uh, and then you have your own sort of it, like your own little practice uh, in it and then you sort of build that out or how, how does that sort of work? So what happens is in the with the major um, with the major banks and and some other um, more boutique um, institutions, you are um, you're part of that overall brand, and yet you're fully responsible to create your own client relationships and um, to create the um, the servicing model and to um, create the business opportunities. So you, so it's, I likened it somewhat to a franchise. If anyone listening, um, you know, is a, a franchise owner or has looked into franchises. So it's, you, you belong to the overall brand and yet um, you are creating that individual, individual relationship. And the compensation is completely tied to your ability to bring in the new clients and look after them. It's not a salary. It's a, for all intents and purposes, it's a hundred percent a commission. So, but it's not a sales role um, because a sales role is different. There are similarities. You ha- it is more similar to um, a franchise than it is to a pure, um, pure sales. It's a, it's interesting. I haven't figured out any better way to explain it. It's like an entrepreneur. So you're you're creating an entrepreneurial um, enterprise and spirit within a corporate setting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so with that, like, are, are you actually able to hire like, uh, your own, like, you know, let's say like, cause you're in the wealth management side. So like a financial planner or a financial advisor, like, are you able to like hire, like build, like, build your own like or, or are you limited to like uh you're not allowed to add any more people it's, into a, you? <laughs> it's a tricky it's a tricky thing it's a yes and a no <laughs> um so um in 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 some respects yes and yet in other respects no um let's say that you can you can come to the broader management team and say here's the vision for um what i want to put together and there the 
you have to present your business case and it has to make sense for the corporate entity as well as for yourself, which is different than if you were 100% on your own, you decide if you're going to hire or fire or what have you, um, which adds benefit to the people that um, come in to work on your team in this type of environment because they have the benefit of being able to access all of the um, human resources of the larger um, um, institution that you're part of. Uh, and that's also, you know, sort of some of the benefit of being the entrepreneur as well is being able to um, tag on to that brand, but also tag on to all of the other um, processes and systems and safeguards and technology um, that are there because of that larger institution that you're part of. Oh, okay. There's okay. No, I, I would say that, yeah, there's no like one, um, you know, one perfect way um, of looking at looking at things. So you have a lot of autonomy, but you're not fully autonomous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you, so it's pretty much like a case by case basis. It's like, if, if, if it, if it works for everybody, like, you know, the company and everybody involved in it, like then, then they'll do it. And you start, you still have like a bit of like, um, still a bit of restriction, but you also, on the mm -hmm. other hand, you have the pro of that. You get all the resources, you get all the data, you get all the information, uh, that you wouldn't have available if you just were running your own practice. Right. So yeah. uh, with that, why don't we jump into sort of like uh, wealth management? What's sort of like a day in the life for you? Like, what, what are you sort of normally doing? Like, what, what does that sort of entail? So do you want the day in the life now or the day in the life pre-COVID? <laughs> <laughs> True. I guess uh, we can talk about it now. <laughs> well, why don't we actually do, why don't we do both of it? Because uh, with COVID, I, I, I like, I, I sort of see it could be going on for, you know, the next six months, eight months, or it could be a year or two years or however long it is. So it, it is going to eventually go back to how it was before. But if somebody's getting into, you know, the wealth management side right now, can you actually speak to what was it like before uh, COVID and what is it like now during COVID? Well, I think, you know, basically the main difference is um, how uh, we connect with our clients, really. Um, you know, I, pre-COVID, I was meeting with clients in their offices, in their homes. Um, you know, clients were coming to see me, but I was also going to see them. So the, the biggest change is that, like most things around gathering, I've pretty much been working exclusively with clients by, by phone or by video conferencing. And uh, I think, yeah, I, I have not gone out to see a client face-to-face. -face. I have a few clients that are also like family, friends. So sometimes uh, you, you might have a side conversation, you know, carving out that time, putting on that business hat where I... I wouldn't have normally gone out to see a client, but because they're in that other kind of circle, right? That other part of the bubble. Um, but yeah, that's, that would be the, the main difference. Um, and that is, it is a big difference um, because so much of what we do is about the relationships that we have with our clients, um, you know, understanding what makes them tick um, understanding what's important for them, what their priorities are. And there is something that's special when you are able to sit um, in the same room around the same table or across from a table with a coffee or in somebody's living room. That's very different than when you're, when you're on the screen. But, um, you know, otherwise, it's, 
it's very much it's very much the the same. So the routine is, the the main difference in the routine is I don't have to commute forty five minutes um, one way, um, and I get to um, save that time and put it towards you know some quiet meditation or reflection or or my morning workout instead, which is which which has been a, a good benefit. But I do absolutely miss that that face-to-face -face piece with my clients. Um, what's made this situation with um, COVID quite different, because you know, I've been in business for close to 20 years and I came into the business, it was, I got licensed September 29th, 2001, and I'd already been in the wealth management side for over a year. So I saw the end of the sort of the dot-com. I saw what happened with the 9-11 and then, you know, what was going on with the, the markets, um, with the, the war that broke out. So that's when, I, that's when I really got started in building my clientele. And then I was knee deep in business in the last crash, like 2007 to 2009 in that period of time. But what's different about COVID to that period of time um, is the fact that with with COVID, it's not um, it's not a it's not a financial um, it's not a financial crisis. It's a health crisis with financial implications, right? Economic implications. Um, whereas the previous crisis was a more manufactured within the the financial world. Um, so you know we're talking about this constant um, balancing of the decisions that are being made for the well-being of of society versus the you know the financial well-being and it's this pull push and pull and i i'm glad i'm not a politician i'm glad i you know i'm i'm not having to be the one being held responsible for those decisions and it's not it's easy to understand all the frustration that's that's going on out there and that's the difference it's much i think it's much harder um to to keep um keep clients um connected to their strategy because we're feeling it from all, every direction and it's not just a financial direction yeah yeah hundred percent like this is uh the last time sort of the world dealt with this was like i believe it was like during the spanish flu and like the you know like at, at the same time as world war one was going on all that sort of stuff um but w with that uh talking about the wealth management so w w what is the majority of like your, your time spent like it's it's prospecting meeting clients uh but then putting into plans so like w w uh, by these plans do you mean like hey you know like this is what you're gonna be uh like this is how much like you you do a budget for them or something like that or you get them to do a budget and you say okay this is how much extra uh disposable income you have like this is what you should try and reduce uh and you know this is and then with that i don't really get into the i don't tend to get into the budgeting side of things i don't tend to get into that minutia um there there would be select um, clients that we would get into it that deeply. Um, we have conversation around, um, you know, what will come up is a conversation around how they're making their decisions, like their relationship with money and um, ways that um, they might want to look at how, how they spend, but that doesn't tend to be um, our focus. I will usually, at the end of the day, uh, most of our clients are not keeping um, a budget they're they're just at that stage where um they're not they're not 
they, they might be tracking things, but they're not, um, they're really not um, worried about the day to day, um, you know, as a whole. So we will usually look at sort of, um, okay, you have a certain amount that um, comes into your household um, and a certain amount that you're allocating right now to your savings. And then the balance is what you're spending. Because if it's not being saved, and it's not going to taxes, it's probably what you're spending. So we'll try to um, take that number and, and project out based on the available information right now. Um, are they on track based on how they are saving? or what they think they're gonna be able to sell their business for, or maybe what they think they're gonna be able to sell um, real estate for, or whatever might be happening in their life. And we, we, we plug that, we'll plug that into, um, into a projection. That's one aspect of the planning. Um, but other aspects of the planning are more nuanced. And when we're talking about business owners, a lot of times business owners' wealth is really wrapped up in their business, right? Um, and you know, we wanna encourage business owners to be, um, you know, taking that, um, taking those assets um, and harvesting them from their business and making sure that they're, they're in um, their personal, on their personal balance sheet, or they have a way to get that off of the business balance sheet and into their, their personal hands. Because, you know, if anything, we, we, we could see with COVID, where, you know, businesses were really attacked <laughs> um, and if if some of that wasn't happening or if that you know that cash wasn't being set aside um, you know and the business closed there that got that got lost in the shuffle so we're so we're lots doing lots of sort of strategic um, planning around that and not all of it is is something that you can like specifically put your hand on. It's just, it's having the conversations. And I'd say, you know, I, I, f I feel like there's this zone of genius that I have, if I dare say so. It's that in, in listening to my clients, I often can see the possibilities that they're not seeing and being able to bring it to their attention. It's not something that I, I can do. It's not something that I, I actually get um, specifically paid for or anything, but I think it's a benefit of being able to, um, to work with clients. Um, we're focused on, in my business, on the business owner segment. You know, the, the people that I actually interview on my podcast are not necessarily my clients, but they're like the architect the archetype of the avatar of my my client um, so it's it's really supporting um, all of the aspects around um, around their life that's what planning really is as opposed to strictly you know um, strictly plugging in a number into a program or strictly you know the investment strategy it's it's much it's much broader and and it's difficult to figure out otherwise how to talk about it tangibly yeah yeah okay yeah that, that, that's understandable so, so so it's more like uh you'd be giving advice to them saying like this is where i am right now in the business uh and then you'd be like well you know are you making sure to pay yourself first like so you can you're able to survive are you putting are you allocating money to you know your savings you know like an rsp or something like that and you sort of just look at it over the broad view 
and say like, oh, well, you know, like you just got to make sure that you're doing this and you sort of push, like not push, but you sort of, um, it, it's sort of like a personal trainer, yeah, right? Like I would it, say, it, yeah, yeah. Coach, trainer, yeah. you're, um, you're, you're another set of eyes, um, you know, not so much consultant, but, um, you know, a professional that way, um, sounding board, um, connector, I, I do a lot of connecting one professional with another, um, collaborating with, you know, other professionals um, within, you know, because it takes all, all kinds of specialties and expertise. Um, and you'll find that many other professionals will, will say the same thing. But the reality is that one person, um, you know, you can't go to your GP and get all of your, your, your health pieces um, sorted out right so you're there's gps and then there's all kinds of specialists same yeah you know same thing in in wealth management so you you've got your your accountants and your lawyers and you've got lawyers of different um different specific parts of lawyering you know from estate planning to tax planning to cross-border planning to you know business structure um maybe at me you know one firm might be able to help you but not usually just one not usually just one lawyer um, in not all the time, but in many cases you need multiple different professionals to, to support that. So I I've done a lot of connecting um, and lend like from the lending perspective too, for like all kinds of um, perspectives. Um, that's been an important, important element too. the connecting of the next specialist that you need to bring in. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that, that's the interesting thing. Cause, uh, uh, so with, so with it, it's, it's not like you're just running, uh, you know, a fund or something like that. It's more like you're in the person's life and you're running over like everything that's happening in their life. And you're saying like, Hey, have you thought about this? You know, you should be doing this. Cause this is the, you know, the direct result that's going to happen by, you know, saving money, uh, or, you know, maybe doing something in the sort of business side, uh, within the banking world, it, there, uh, would there be somebody that runs, um, you know, like, let's say funds or anything like that, or is that more at the higher level, uh, in the banking system? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I, I'm, I'm grabbing, I'm grabbing hold of your question. So can yeah, you yeah, yes. So, so yeah, yeah. So, so for sure. Uh, so, you know, like so, some banks, so, you know, like there's hedge funds or something like that and they're their own sort of mm -hmm. entity, uh, within the banking world, uh, is there sort of those entities exist? Like, you know, funds where they go out, they raise money. Uh, it'd probably be more institutional investors, uh, that and then they manage that money for like you know investing into certain like let's say stocks or bonds or however they sort of uh, strategically uh, manage that money is, is there sort of right okay I think I get it so in you know within wealth management um, and most of the larger institutions you there are multiple different ways that money can be managed right so um, there can be um, purely um, you know, sort of acting as a, an order taker. Um, so a relationship with a client where the client is really sort of directing uh, what they want to invest in. Um, that's not nearly as common anymore because of, um, you know, direct investing platforms, but that, that still does exist. Um, and then there's a platform of, um, you know, an, an advisor uh, putting together a portfolio 
that's, I'm going to call it in collaboration with their clients. So they will say, based on our relationship, based on risk tolerances, all this kind of thing, here's how I suggest that um, you put your portfolio together. And by the way, I, I sort of run these models. These are the models that I, that I put together. And that is pretty common, um, but it's collaborative. So the client does have to agree. And sometimes the client might also ask you to, you know, to, to investigate some other, um, you know, positions that might not be in the model. Um, so that's kind of a give and take. Um, model. Um, there are advisors who run um, what's called a discretionary practice. And so again, they're going to have models run a, on a certain certain set of parameters. But the clients, other than agreeing to the overall mix and agreeing to the model, um, the client doesn't have say in the actual changes within the model. So that's, a, I think, a little bit what you're referring to in terms of running money, right? Yeah. Um, in that, and th there, we have that under, you know, where I work, but then there's also some other um, wealth management models that are similar, uh, but not 100% the same. There's a lot of different options. So if you're, if you're somebody listening and you're wondering what is the right um, option for you, the best thing to do is to talk like just go and interview a number of different um, different advisors um, and and learn about what the options are. And then the other side of that is to think about what it is that like why it is you would be hiring somebody. Like are you hiring um, an advisor in wealth management um, because you want someone to to run the money for you? Or are you looking for somebody who is actually going to sort of how I've described things, who's going to be your, you know, sort of financial confidant, right? Like who's going to, um, you're going to share what's going on in your life and how things um, are affecting you financially. And you're looking for that, um, you know, broader advice. Not everybody wants that. Some people just want here, I've got, I've got my plan figured out. I just want you to run the money. Right. Um, so for the for the individual who's going to look at hiring, think about what it is that you're actually looking for. And that's one of the questions I will I will ask new clients and and I will refresh with existing clients. Like, you know, if, if we're working together three years from now, um, what has to have happened for this to make sense for you? Like what would make what would make this a successful relationship? So you get to hear about understanding what it is really that they're looking for. And then I also ask directly, like, what is it that you're looking for in an advisor? Right? It's an important, it's an important question because there are so many different ways. And it's not that one way is right and one way is wrong. Um, you know, same thing like with the robo advisor type of scenarios coming out. Well, I think there's a whole segment of people that that's probably very appropriate for. And I don't think there's like, there's one way. Um, to build out um, in our industry. And I think that's, there, there's, there's gonna be more, more change that comes down the, the pipeline. In my 20, 20 years, it has gone from, you know, the stock broker to the wealth advisor. And, oh, okay. you know, in the next five years, I think it's going to, um, continue, to continue to evolve. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, that's very interesting with, with that, like how, you know, in, in the beginning time, well, like not in the beginning time, but it was like more on the stockbroker in the... You know, <laughs> in the like, beginning of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, taking the orders and then going off and actually making the trade. And now it's been more uh, with the internet and online. Now people can trade it like themselves. And now it's gone more into like the wealth management side and doing everything. Uh, making sure you have you have your strategies set in place and that and you're adhering to them and you're not following in them, not slipping off the you know the, the wagon with them. So uh, now now jumping to I I know we're almost at the end here. Uh, just one last question I have is uh, let's say somebody who's maybe in high school or university or is uh, sort of younger, like in the early twenties. Uh, what what sort of strategy would you uh, be like a, a broad strategy or something that they should be looking at with their finances? Uh, you know, maybe they work part time or they've just gotten a full time job. And what 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 would your advice be to that? So you're talking about from a personal standpoint, what what advice would I have for them with their money? Yeah, um, I would say this combination of you probably heard it before this this idea of paying yourself first. Um, it's it's essentially what you need to know at the end of the day, it's it's not how much money you make over time. Um, it's it's really um, it's living within your your means, not overspending. So if you like, for example, I'll talk about my boys. I have two, um, one young adult, um, one teenager, and. I've instilled in them from the get-go when they got money that they they needed to compartmentalize it. So there's a portion of it that, you know, is, you know, go ahead and spend. And there's a portion of it that needs to be always set aside and, and, and saved, right? Um, for whatever is, is going to come up. Um, I even at one point had three jars and there was the, the spending jar and the saving jar and the giving jar, right? So that, that there is always also a little bit that could be, um, you know, shared. Whether it was, you know, it could been, it could have been Girl Guide cookies at the door, which is still sharing, but then it's actually twofold, right? You're getting your your Girl Guide cookie, and you're and you're making a difference, like you're you're giving to charity. So don't spend all of, don't spend every dollar that that comes in. Make sure that you're you are setting um, setting some aside for that, you know, the next big goal. Um, you know, you have to dig yourself out of a hole if you're if you're borrowing um, to consume. And yeah, that would be that would be the biggest thing. Start start right away. Doesn't matter what amount it is that you start with. Um, and that being said, it's not to think about. It's not to think about, um, you know, what you have as a, from a scarcity standpoint, because that can kind of sound like maybe a scarcity standpoint. It's, it's also to just say, I have enough and I'm going to set this aside for another day and I have enough. And I'm going to set that aside for another day and then just get in that habit of setting a little bit aside and also get in the mindset of believing that you always have enough because then you get into a scarcity mindset um, money, money is energy essentially. And so if you're, if you're giving, um, if you're giving your money the sense of there's not enough, if you're, um, if you're afraid that you're not going to be able to pay your bills, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
Instead, believe you have enough, set some money aside and, and create that mindset. Um, so like a great, a great book would be The Millionaire Mindset or Think and Grow Rich, um, Napoleon Hill. Um, you know, there's, there's some little aspects in there that are, you know, offside, but the think and grow rich, um, mindset, the millionaire mind, it, those are two really great books for, for anyone to, um, to look at, at whatever stage when you're, when you're ready and you have your mind open to it. Um, that would be a great, great starting point. Yeah. Yeah. The, and, and those are some great points. And, and, and I always, uh, like, I always sort of bring finances to sort of like, uh, fitness and sort of health thing. Cause that's what I'm sort of, I'm, I'm familiar with that. And, and it's, it's like going to the gym, right? It's like when you first go to the, like, when, when you first start saving, it doesn't matter, you know, it can be $15, it can be $5, it can be $2 going in the gym. It's just like, you know, you don't have to go in for two hours or an hour and a half. You can go in for 15 minutes right? And then you build on it, right? And, and it's just starting that habit. Right. You start, you go in for two days, you know, two days a week, and you just build it and build it and build it and build it and build it. And over the, you know, the course of five to 10 years, uh, that has a huge, huge effect. And then you have those habits that stay with you for the rest of your life. Exactly. So, so that's, why, that's why you want the, mind, the positive mindset habit along with the actual practical of putting it aside. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and those are the, and you can't really, uh, you, you need to have both for everything to work, work well, right. You, you, you need to understand exactly. why you're doing it and have the mindset, but also you need to practically make sure you're actually adhering to, um, what you've set out and said you want to do. Right. So, yes, exactly. uh, I, I know we're coming to the end here. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, Colleen. It, it was amazing talking with you, uh, you know, hearing your story and about, uh, the banking industry and wealth management. Uh, is there anything else uh, you want to add? I know you have a podcast. Um, and is there anything else you sort of want to, you know, put out there or anything like that? Um, yeah, it'd be great if you've got any listeners who are, are interested in, in hearing the stories. Similar, I've had, a, I think, a few of the similar guests that you've had on your show. So I'm a Millionaire, So Now What is a podcast where we share in, um, inspirational stories, practical strategies, and fun, frank advice for the self-made nation. The self-made nation are entrepreneurs um, along the full trajectory from startup to um, self, self-made millionaire. Okay. Okay. You awesome. Find us on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, that's great. I, I, guys, if, if you made it to the end, uh, thank you for making it to the end. And yes, go check out uh, Colleen's podcast. Um, and yes, thank you. Thank you, uh, Colleen, for coming on the show. You're well, thank you for inviting me. Awesome.